0: It's a simple message but that doesn't mean it's wrong i keep my love on
1: if i were you
0: and i'm a simple singer Good Sunday morning and welcome to this edition of Get Your Love On Radio. It is a simple message and it's very much very right. The message of the hour. Let's keep our love on. This radio show is called Get Your Love On here on Remnant Radio 100.1 FM. Thank you so much for being here. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. And we are so blessed to have you here today. We have an incredible message. We have three beautiful ministers, all who give us the word, in simplicity and truth and in its totality. And I love that about the Word of God. There's so much richness. There's so much for us to glean, so much wisdom for us to be able to grab a hold of for our own lives as individuals. We don't have to buy into the groupthink and the whole cookie cutter mentality. Nope, God wants us to be individuals and seek Him According to our own personality, according to our own walk before him. My name's Julie Bueller, and I have a very personal and individual walk with God Almighty, the creator of the known and unknown universe. And I stand in great confidence and great faith in him and him alone. And that's what we want for each and every person that listens to this show, is that same personal walk one-on-one with Jesus Christ of Nazareth and with God Almighty. And we're going to show you how to get it today. We have some awesome ministers. I'm so excited. And I want to start with one grand statement that will help all of us. And it's in the Word of God. God is not the author of confusion. That's in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. Apostle Paul wrote this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. So the true church of God will be at peace Mm -hmm. and will not be found in confusion. That's God's word. So as there are lies floating around, as there's fake news and false headlines floating around, as there are illegitimate Victory is being proclaimed because Satan is a liar. So that's what he does. He tries to convince people that he's the winner and he's not. He's an eternal loser through the, Jesus Christ in Nazareth. So as we peel away the lies, we will stand in great confidence in God Almighty. And here's another scripture, Psalm 71.1, for us to do so. It says, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. When we trust in God Almighty, we will never be in confusion. We'll never be looking around. We'll always have our eyes on the Lord. And that's the key to standing strong and walking forward in Christ's eternal victory is trusting in God Almighty. He is exactly who he says he is, eternally victorious and 100,000% always righteous. That's God Almighty. That's who we get to serve. Isn't that wonderful? I love you, Lord. Thanks so much for this beautiful morning. James 3.16, this is an important one. It says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Don't you love how the word of the Lord just nails what Satan's doing right now? Confusion and every evil work go hand in hand. Yeah, that's what we're seeing right now in this land. But the good news is we get to stand on the word of God. And we've read the back. We've read the last page. We know God wins. So let's stand in that because there is a lot of confusion right now. And it is not of God. We get to be patient and trust in him. We don't need to allow any of this confusion in our own lives. And and we can't allow any confusion in in our own lives because we get to trust in the Lord. And we have the word of God to rely on. But we have to read it for ourselves. We have to be in it. We have to dig it out for ourselves. And, you know, most people probably are familiar with the story of Noah and the ark. It's in Genesis chapter six through chapter eight. And I'm going to encourage you to go read it for yourself. And then please do reach out to us and let us know what the Lord shows you in these scriptures. Again, very personal, very individual. And, um, the Lord, But I'll summarize here. We do know that God gave Noah very precise instructions to build this ark in the middle of the desert. Very unique circumstances. We also know that God did so to cleanse the earth from all the evil work, from, again, all the confusion. That was God's plan. And we know that Noah did exactly what God asked him to do in the very precise way that God asked him to do it. And we know the rains came and the earth flooded and Noah through that very incredible faith and obedience and righteousness, changed the world forever. That's right. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Isn't that incredible? One man's faith and obedience to God Almighty changed the course of human history. So can we do the same? You better believe it. And and today's show is going to help us understand exactly how we read the word for ourselves. Take that quiet time as much as we can. Peel away the busyness of this life and get that quiet time. You and your God. Spend that time in the word and we'll learn how to take on these promises, how to take on these stances, how to take on this great faith that we see in the word for our own lives and our own selves. And we have our beautiful minister, Carol, later in the show today, who, who walks us through these mighty patriarchs and gives us personal examples from her own life, too, that we will also be able to glean great wisdom from. So stay tuned. We have a lot packed in today's show. We also know through our own obedience that God will change the world for us. That's right. But let's take a few moments and just consider the reality of what it probably looked like to be Noah on that ark. (laughs) Okay. So he's on the ark for a few months with a bunch of wild animals. Have you ever smelled one or two wild animals, let alone hundreds or thousands? Not not a pretty picture. Pretty smelly. Pretty smelly. And also given the storm that was unleashed, God's plan to cleanse the earth. You think it was a smooth ride on that ark, or do you think it was pretty bumpy? Yeah, it was probably a pretty bumpy ride. And then did you know, and again, go back to Genesis 6 through 8, read this for yourself. It's so wonderful. You'll hear this a few times today. Even after the rain stopped, Noah was on that ark for months as the water abated. And as that cleansing process came to completion, then he got to jump back on dry land. And the first thing he did was praise God. So yeah, it was a bumpy and stinky ride, but Noah knew God's ways are perfect and he put his trust in God and was patient in that very unique circumstance. So we get to do the same. You know, Satan has been hard at work trying to create confusion and in many ways, he invented fake news and false headlines from the beginning of man time, or from the beginning of humankind, when he told Eve, "Thou shalt not surely die." He's been a liar since then, and he continues to stoke confusion through sickness and fear and fraud, and teaching generations through the media, movies, and music, and so-called culture that evil is good and good is evil. That's confusion. But God is very direct and awesomely so. But for many who haven't read the Word or have been only exposed to very small parts, there's so much to learn from one source, and we get to dig it out for ourselves. We get to read it. And every minister you hear on this program is not only part of a true five-fold ministry taught by prophets, taught by apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but every minister reads the word. So we actually learn God, not culture, popular slogans, or some marketing catchphrases. We learn God Almighty, and that's what we're going to do today in His great simplicity and beauty. And uh, we get to learn the real difference between false teaching and religious teaching. And that's real salvation. So we have an incredible series on YouTube. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. We have 22 episodes now, and they're all just incredible and packed with the Word of God. This episode is number 22, and it's talking about how and why we are to love our enemies. If you're watching on Facebook Live right now, I encourage you to go to RadioRemnant.org. We have three beautiful ministers we're featuring, and I don't want you to miss out on any of it. This is the first one, our beloved friend, Corey. This is Sermon on the Mount, part 22. So verse
1: 44, Matthew 5. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, or slander you, and persecute you. So the word enemy here, we're going to talk about loving our enemies for a bit. In the Greek, the word enemy means hateful, odious, hostile, an adversary, or opponent. But the root meaning is hateful. Hateful, in my Webster's Dictionary, is something that's exciting or deserving great dislike, great aversion, or disgust. Hateful can also mean to manifest hate or hatred, to be malignant or malevolent. So hateful, there's kind of a two-way street there. It can be manifesting hate, or it can be kind of stimulating or deserving hate towards it as well. There's kind of a two-way street there. So that's what it means to be an enemy, to be hateful. Now, to hate, as I said earlier, that means to love less. And this is how God views it. Our enemies are those who love us, or God in us, less than they should. Also, by their words and actions, they tempt us to do the same. Again, so hateful, there's hatred towards us, and they do things that contempt us to also be hateful towards them. That's an enemy. That's what it means to be hateful. There's a very broad application there, varying degrees of how that can be done. I mean, it can be very minor or it can be very major. But basically what it refers to, um, an enemy, is anyone that's not part of the body of Christ. You can read Matthew 10, verses 34 to 40 for yourself to see what Jesus Christ himself said about that. But anyone that's not part of the body of Christ, we have to consider them to be an enemy. Why? Because they're not part... Like the children of Israel recognized those heathen tribes were not part of them. We also have to recognize that they're not part of us. But in that recognition, the Lord also said we are to love them. So love my Webster's Dictionary gives this definition. Love is a feeling of strong attachment that is induced by that which delights or commands admiration. Yeah, it's induced by something we see or feel or experience. Love is preeminent kindness or devotion to another. Tenderness, to love, in a verbal sense, means to regard with affection or goodwill. To have good intentions towards someone, or godly intentions towards someone. In other words, we see the beauty in something, and that evokes love in us when we perceive the beauty in something. So what's the Lord talking about here? Paul wrote this in Hebrews 12:2. He said, looking unto Jesus... The author and finisher of our faith. This is the love Jesus had. He said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was that joy that was set before him, that he could endure all of that? He saw us. He saw all those souls throughout history that he would redeem from sin and make a way for them to enter into eternal life. That's why he could endure and take all that sin upon him and take it down and leave it where it belonged and set us free from it. Because he saw all of us, tens of thousands of millions for eternity. So that was the beauty the Lord saw and did what he had to do to save it and preserve it. Jesus saw the beauty of what we would become by him taking that on. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's Romans 5:10. See, Jesus went to the cross while we were still enemies as far as I, as far as God was concerned, because we we're still under that sin. So that's that's the kind of love the Lord has for the human soul and that's the kind of love we are to have also. Jesus himself loved his enemies, and we are to do the same. Now, like that Old Testament law that God gave to the children of Israel, when a soul converts from obeying the sin of the world to doing the righteousness of God, then they can become part of the body of Christ. They've left off those old things. They've entered into something new, the things of the Lord. So we, as Christians, were are to show that same love for our enemies that Jesus Christ of Nazareth showed for us. And we do it for the same reason. Scripture says this, If an enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. That's Proverbs 25 verses 21 and 22. So that bread and water, those are necessities for life. You can't survive without either of those. You have to have both of them, food and water. The Word of God is the same for the human soul. It's the necessities of life, and it's the mercy and love of God for those necessities of life to be given to those that are enemies, to to have that demonstrated to them. Now, the thing about that enemy being hungry or thirsty, he may not even know he's hungry or thirsty, but we still give it to him as appointed by God, even if, it's, even if it's just our good example. Even that demonstration of a godly, the word of God in us, and our words and actions, that's a type of giving him that bread and water. And it can go much farther than that. It can be that ministering to a soul and saving their soul, varying degrees again. Now, the coals of fire on his head, that is shame. That's the condemnation of their own conscience, if they have one. Not everybody has a conscience. For for what? For hating one who does not deserve it. And that condemnation of their conscience gives them the opportunity to repent of that hatred. So when we heap those coals of fire on that enemy's head, it may seem like, I mean, you read it, it sounds pretty like a nasty thing to do but it's actually a mercy of God, because now they have the opportunity to, to take a step back and look at their own behavior and say, oh, maybe I need to be doing this differently. Now, Paul quoted this scripture in Proverbs in Romans 12, and he added something else after it. Romans 12, 21, he said, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the word evil here, in the Greek, it means intrinsically worthless. That word intrinsic means really, truly, or by its very nature, something is worthless. That's what it is, and it can't be anything else. Now, there's two words in the Greek that cover most of the references to the word evil in the New Testament. Half of them mean hurtful, and about half of them mean this, worthless. So evil, most of the time it means worthless or hurtful. So that's a good thing to keep in mind when you're reading through the scriptures. And again, there's varying degrees of that too. So those worthless things, overcoming those worthless things with good, what are those worthless things? Enemies do these things that are worthless. They curse one another, they hate one another, they slander one another, they persecute one another. They do these things to each other. It takes two to tangle. So the enemy does it back and forth. One enemy does it one way and the other enemy does it the other way. They're both enemies. And God says that's worthless. All this behavior is worthless. Now, good in the Greek means the opposite. It means to be of intrinsic benefit, to be right, to be true, to be useful, to be real, to you know, be really be real, to really be true or useful, genuinely not just an appearance. Now that word good, when it says be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good, that word good also means God. Like when we say goodbye, that word goodbye, you go back into the old English, it originally meant God be with you. But you yeah, know over the process of time, that word contracted, and we got God be with you, goodbye. It shortened down. But good and God in a lot of places, you can exchange the two in the, in the scriptures, and it'll have the same meaning. So, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with God. And what is God? God is love, as the epistle of John says. So, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with God. Overcome evil with love. So, to love is to not behave like an enemy instead of cursing or hating or slandering or persecuting the other we bless the other we do good to the other we pray for the other so, as i said it takes two to tangle so instead of having two enemies going back and forth at each other perpetually in worthless pointless hurtful effort you can have one enemy doing these things but then you have the other the righteous that doesn't return it back and what happens then well then there's a way for that, that vicious cycle to end. So the love is to not behave like an enemy. That's how you love your enemy. You don't behave like they do. Don't do back to them what they've done to you. Now, I do want to make a point here. Jesus said, love your enemies. That word your is there in the Greek in that scripture. And that means what pertains to you specifically. Jesus did not say, love my enemies. He said, love your enemies, what you interact, what you're dealing with, because the enemy of God is the devil. We're not to love the devil. We're not to love what is of the devil, because the devil and the things of the devil, those are enemies of God, and they're meant to be destroyed. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's First John 3.8. Neither give place to the devil. Don't give him any place in your life. That's Ephesians 4.27. So we love our enemies, but we don't love God's enemies. See, there's, a, there's a distinction there. It's a spiritual aspect to it. We don't love those spirits and the work of those evil spirits.
0: That was part 22 of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Get Your Love on Radio here on Remnant Radio. And our friend Corey studies the word diligently, and that's how you get these kind of messages. Doesn't it all make sense? (laughs) Maybe for the first time in your life, the word of God is making sense. That's because it's ministered by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we have incredible resources at Get Your Love On that talk about how to obtain the Holy Spirit, how to walk in it. And if you need your own Bible, please, please, please reach out to us. We'll send you one. We have a contact tab at getyourloveon.org. We are happy to supply you with the necessary resources, both in the Word, and in Bible studies and beyond to make sure that your walk with the Lord is very wondrous. And again, isn't it incredible to hear that word and how much it makes sense, especially at a time when we need to know exactly how to proceed through these very unique times and very wondrous times that the Lord is riding. So uh, as a Hope you enjoyed that. I sure did. And again, go to YouTube. There's 21 other episodes that will bless your socks off. All right. We mentioned earlier the fivefold ministry. And uh, we have further teaching available, again, at getyourloveon.org. It's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, specifically given to us by God Almighty, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of his ministry. Because the true church of God is not in any building. It never has been, and it never will be. And the man who taught me that, my spiritual grandfather, his name's Brother Bob. He was a true apostle. He had a ministry here a few decades ago. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but we still have all of his teachings that are perfect. He was a great man of God and simply believed the word and walked in all of God's great authority and taught us how to do the same. And my beloved friends, he's here today to teach you how to do the same as well. It begins with a true born again experience. Here's our wonderful friend, Brother Bob.
2: My message today is going to be in St. John 3 about Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was the leader of the Pharisees. Well, I'll get to it here in a minute. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Now here was a leader of the Jewish nation at the time, one of the leaders of the Jewish nation admitted openly that Jesus came from God, and was from God, because He did miracles, and admitted that it could not be done except He be from God, and God be with Him. Isn't that something? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Jesus said, except talking to every one of you out there, a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, let alone enter into it. You won't even see it, unless you're born again. And there's a whole lot of talk about being born again today. A lot of talk about it. But very few people know what it means. Even those that are talking about it don't even know what it means. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or surely, surely, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Except you repent and are baptized, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now when you repent and are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, then you become a spiritual man. But until you become a spiritual man, you're of flesh, and flesh profiteth nothing according to the Word of God. Your flesh is worthless in the sight of God, unless it has the Spirit of God in it. Marvel not that I said unto you, Ye must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now when I first repented and received the Holy Spirit, I didn't know where it came from, and I didn't know where it was going to take me. But I'll tell you one thing it felt so good for thirty three years, I don't care where it came from, and I know now where it's going to take me. It's going to take me right in to the kingdom of God. I have entered into the kingdom of God by being born again of the water, of the blood, and of the Spirit, my faith in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Well, I'm going to tell you how today. I'm going to tell you how. Jesus answered and said unto him, Are you a master of Israel and know not these things? There's many masters out there in the world today, and even they don't even know what I'm telling you today. I'm talking about the masters of church services. I'm talking about ministers, masters of this word that don't even tell this and don't even know it because they haven't been preaching it for the last 33 years that I know of. I haven't heard any of them preach it, I haven't heard it preached, not in its entirety, just a little strip here and a little strip there, and just enough so that they won't be uh, harassed about it. (laughs) Praise God, I don't care. I I got something to say, I'm gonna say it, while I'm able to say it. Verily I say unto you, we speak that we do know. Now see, I speak what I know. I'm like Jesus, I'll just speak what I know to be a fact and to be the truth, and testify what we have seen and receive not our witness. He even told Nicodemus right there, said, you're not even receiving my witness. You're not paying any more attention to what I'm saying than anything. Yet you're a master in Israel. You're a master, you're a teacher. You're not hearing me. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus had a good point there, didn't he? Even if I sit here and tell you of earthly things about repenting and believing and being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, and you don't believe that, how would you uh, believe if I told you that God had taken me up to glory and let me see some of the things in glory at one time in a vision? Would you believe that? You wouldn't. But if you believe in being baptized and receiving the Holy Ghost, then you'll believe that uh, God will take you into glory and let you see His in a vision and let you see what it looks like. Because he said, I will show every man his habitation. That's in Proverbs. Mm -hmm. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of man which is in heaven. Now there Jesus was standing there talking to Nicodemus, and yet he said, the Son of man is in heaven. Now how can you be on earth and in heaven at the same time? Well, Jesus knew that his angel beheld the face of the Father or God. Once you receive the Holy Ghost, your angel then, or your spirit, beholds the face of God. You'll find that in Psalm 149. And even Jesus himself said it. Know ye not that your angel beholds the face of God? That's why you must be born again. Get the Spirit of God within you, then your image is before God, or your spirit is before God 24 hours a day. How many Christians have ever known that? Well, that's part of being a Christian. Knowing that you're saved and that your angel beholds the face of God and that he hears every one of your prayers. That's why he gives you tongues to speak in tongues. That's the born to get part of the born to begin experience is to speak in tongues because he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto man but unto God. And that's why the devils out there don't like for you to learn to speak in tongues or want you to speak in tongues because that's a direct uh, uh, conversation with God the Father the mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, or Christ within your hope of glory, talking to God through your spirit and using your mouth. Isn't that fantastic, what God can do to this natural body and in just a moment? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now by that he means for you to call on the name of Jesus Christ, say, Lord Jesus, here am I, save my soul, let me find somebody that'll baptize me and receive your Holy Spirit and then you'll be lifting Him up. Mm -hmm. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now this is Jesus' own words. He said, If you'll believe in Me, I will fill you with My Spirit. I will give you everlasting life. Isn't that a fantastic promise? There is no other God that ever made or could make that kind of promise. Some of the uh, meditation gods say that you can gain uh, bliss in ten years if you meditate and set and freeze yourself and in a, in a certain position for so many for ten years. Well, here you can know God and be filled with the Spirit in ten seconds or less. The time that it takes you to say, "Lord, forgive me my sin." Uh huh. You can go past bliss in ten seconds. It did not take you ten years to get there. If it took ten years, nobody on earth would be saved at all. It takes about ten seconds or less if you're serious and mean business with God. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's the only thing that's going to straighten this world out, is a great revival in this land and people getting back to Christ like they did back in the old days to get back to Christ like the writers of our Constitution did, get down on their knees and start praying for the things they need and thanking God for what they already have. That's what it's going to take to straighten this nation out. He that believes on him is not condemned. That means to think. There's a semicolon that says think. But he that believeth not is condemned already. You people out there that say that you don't believe in God, you're condemned already. You're condemned to an eternal death. An eternal torment, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of the God. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, there is no hope for you in this life or the one to come. There is none for you at all, period. There's a period after this. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Deeds of men today are evil. You can't even trust your neighbor anymore because his mind is evil affected. If you've got a little better car than he's got, he hates you. If you've got a little better looking house, I painted my house here a while back from an old, dingy, uh, gray, uh, unpainted house to a white house, and the first thing I knew it was on television, that I had a great mansion up here that I painted, my house was all painted white, and they didn't like white houses. Well, 82% of the houses in the United States today are painted white, and that's a statistic that you can check on and find to be true. <laughs> I like white, it's a sign of purity, it's a sign that you've got some ambition behind you to make your property and raise your taxes and pay your taxes and make things look better. Now I like to pay my taxes because I'm in a free country, I don't feel that I've got any unjust taxes because God blesses me, the government here blesses me. Mm-hmm. by keeping me a free man and letting me preach like I'm preaching on, on uh, national television. I haven't got a complaint in this world about my taxes, folks. I would like to see the commissioner uh, maintain my road once in a while uh, more often, more than once a year, because I pay taxes to have it done, so I mentioned it. But if he's unjust, he goes to hell for it. I don't. If he's unjustly using my taxes, that's between him and God, or the God that he's serving. For everyone that doth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Now, when I first got saved, my deeds, early deeds in my early life was reproved, taken away from me, done away with, <laughs> and love, and joy, and peace, and contentment, and a good conscience ensued with me this last 33 years. It says, if your conscience condemns you not, then are you in Christ Jesus. But you folks out there that's got a, uh, a leaky conscience or a hurting conscience or can't sleep at night, well, call on the name of Jesus and tell him to clear your mind and clear your soul of all your evil deeds and save your soul and let you die in peace or live in peace, either way. My first prayer of repentance was, Lord, save my soul and let me die in peace. I was 27 years old. Instead of letting me die in peace, he raised me up and added 33 years to my life so far in love and joy and peace, and made me alive. Healed my body from a terminal cancer patient to a lively man for another 33 years. Mm -hmm. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. I came to the light. I came to Jesus Christ. That his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. I know my deeds this last 33 years have been rotten, God, because I feel great. My conscience is clear. I have the love of you folk out there, and you young people, and you shut-ins, and I love every race, creed, and color on this earth. For the Lord himself loved you, for he said, whosoever will, let him come. He that's weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. This is Jesus' words. This is the kind of a God we're serving one without prejudice, and one without controversy, is great. Mm-hmm. After these things came Jesus and His disciples into the land of Judea, and there He tarried with them and baptized. It said, Jesus tarried there with His, ba- with his disciples and baptized. Mm-hmm. And John also was baptizing at Enon near, near Selim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Now, I wonder why they had to have much water. Well, a bowl of water won't get it. That's sprinkling. Much water, buried him. Buried with him in baptism. Not sprinkled, buried. If you want to take a baptism by sprinkling, just wait till it showers a little bit and walk out and hold your face up and let, let it come from heaven and sprinkle you if you call that baptism. Now, I have nothing against uh, denominal baptismal services like that. It's just the idea, It just don't get the job done yet. (coughs) Never did, never will. (laughs) just tell you the truth about it. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold the same baptizer, and all men come to him. He said, John, you're supposed to be the Baptist around here. How come they're going to Jesus? and being baptized of him, come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven or from above. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Mm -hmm. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom... (coughs) which uh, standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore is fulfilled. See, they tried to create a jealous spirit between John and Jesus. That's what's going on with the denominations today. There's a jealous spirit between them. Baptists against the Catholics, Jews against the Christians, so on, so on, so on, so on. You know what I'm talking about. You all, you all live here on this earth, and you're old enough to understand exactly what I'm saying without me explaining it. Well, I'll tell you what, if we all get together and pull together the United States of America will get back to God and we'd get the Bibles back in the schools. You can even put the Torah in schools if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't hurt you a bit. It's the same reading that we have in the Old Testament. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, if we had that kind of an attitude in this world today among the religious proselytes, we'd have millions of people saved and serving God. We'd have millions of dope addicts off of the street. We'd have millions of young teenagers uh, rejoicing in the Lord and praising God and reading their Bibles in public and anywhere else and not be ashamed of it. Mm Mm-hmm. But the spirits that have taken over the earth today makes it, it, tries to make you sound like you're a kook because you read your Bible. Well, they don't say anything when you go to reading some of the uh, filth that's put out by the uh, publishing companies. They don't say anything to a kid that carries uh, a Playboy magazine to school with him or Playgirl. Sex magazines, they don't say anything against the rock, and, rock stars that get up and preach everything from suicide to sex to the adultery. They don't say anything against that. But just read your old righteous Bible in public and you get arrested. Something how far from God the United States of America has gotten. Well, I'm not going to get in politics, but I just want to let you know I know what's going on. And I'm going to tell you about it. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaks of the earth, that he he that cometh from heaven is above all. This is what Jesus is telling them here. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. Very few people received Jesus' testimony in those days except those chosen of God. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. Now I've received the testimony of Jesus Christ, and I know God is true. I know God is alive, I know God is with me because I have the Holy Spirit and I do speak in tongues. Now I don't make a big deal out of speaking in tongues, I don't preach it in my church that it's absolutely a thing that has to be uh, shown every time you come to church. Those tongues have their purpose and it's mostly to benefit you. It gives you power to talk direct to God. And in the church, it, has, it, it gets the attention of the people so that they can be still long enough to hear the interpretation thereof and understand what God's talking about through a prophet or a prophetess. Now, I believe in the church, according to the word, you have to have an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, and a teacher. I call it the fivefold ministry. And in my con- denomination or, or uh, organization, I have the fivefold ministry operating. I have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in the working body in the church. But we have it decently and in order. Now, I'm not Pentecostal, folks. I'm not anything. I have my own organization. A lot of you have written in and said, Brother Taylor, what church do you belong to? Well, I have my own private organization. I'm registered in the states where I preach. And I'm registered as an ordained minister. And I am an ordained minister. So don't worry about where I come from or where I'm going or what I belong to. I don't belong to anything that is called denomination. I'll guarantee you that. I only belong to an organization enough to get me by man's law in this land and to obey the laws of this land from the tax laws on down to the speeding laws. I obey them. I belong to an organization that believes in obeying the laws of the land and honoring the police forces and the security forces of this land that protect us. We honor them. I am not against my government, but I'm against some of the people in it that are trying to do away with some of my rights because I am an educated man and I know how to read that Constitution. And it reads, means exactly what it says, the same as the Bible means exactly what it says. I'm putting out this information so some of you can have something to think about. All right went on to say here, For he whom God hath sent speaks the word of God, for God gives not the Spirit by measure to him. Now the Lord has never given me a measure of the Spirit. He's always given me power to speak the word openly right from the book. I don't have to uh, guess or to be afraid of what I say because I speak the truth and nothing can come against the truth in the long run. It says, The Father loves the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. Now, Jesus Christ has all the power of this earth and the power to come in his hand because he came and he fulfilled the word of God and his Father's will. He came to this earth and delivered his people through his power, his word, and his spirit. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? And he that believes not the Son shall not see life. Something to think about. But the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on every person that does not believe in God. That is a statement made here in this book many, many times over in the New Testament. I suppose that's why the atheist wanted the Bible out of the schools. is because it tells you exactly where you stand and how you stand. Mm-hmm. I want to go over here now to the uh, first chapter of St John, the 43rd verse. And I want to give some of you folks an idea how easy it is to follow Jesus. On the 43rd verse, it said, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and finds Philip and said unto him, "Follow me. people." Today, I have found you on television and on the radio programs that you listen to. And I'm saying to you, follow Jesus. It's that simple. Just follow Jesus. All Jesus said to that man to save his soul and to convert him, and he made him one of the greatest evangelists that the world has ever known out of him, was follow me. That's all Jesus had to say to that man. Mm-hmm. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Peter finds Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found the Messiah. We found him. Folks, you can find the Messiah right now simply by saying, Jesus, save me. It's that simple. It's as simple to say that as it was for Jesus to say to Philip, follow me. That's how simple it is to get to God. Jesus, save me. And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, You just come and see. Come and see. Can any good come out of me saying, Jesus, forgive me my sin? Well, try it and see. Try it and see. One time I was working in a packing house while I was going to Bible school. I worked for my own uh, money then and supported myself and uh, this young man got on the elevator with me one night and said he was going to knock the Holy Ghost out of me and um, I, to- I began to preach to him and I just set the elevator, we had eight floors on automatic so it would go to the eighth floor, come back down to the basement, go back up to the eighth floor, and go back down to the basement. So for the next 10 or 15 minutes we were going from the basement to the eighth floor, up and down. And I knew if I kept going long enough, he wasn't used to the feel of that elevator, he'd get kind of sick. (laughs) So i just preached to him, and the more I preached to him, the sicker he got. And finally, I got him to the eighth floor, and I opened the door, and I said, Now, you get in your closet this evening, and if you don't believe what I say, you get in there and you say, Jesus, 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 until something happens. And I said, You won't say it very long until something happens. And you know, the next morning, he was at my church at 7.30, wanting in. God had saved him in that closet. God had answered him when he called on the name of the Lord. And he, his wife, and his five children got converted, stayed in my church for about two years, went to Bible school, and he's now preaching and ministering in a church in Concordia, Kansas, and he's been there for the last 21 years, doing a great work for God. Isn't that something? He tried it. You young people out there, if you want to try something new, you get together in a quiet place, even as a group or as an individual you start calling on the name of the Lord, Jesus of Nazareth, here am I, save me. Or Lord Jesus, save me and teach me. Anyway, he'll, ta- he'll hear you. It's that easy. If somebody would have told me that when I was a child <clears throat> or when I was a teenager, I would have done anything to get right with God. I would have done what they said, but no preacher was preaching it. They just said, join the church and... Believe on the Lord, and you'll be saved. Well, it doesn't take that it takes someone doing on your part, too. So, folks, repent now. Call on the name of the Lord. Be baptized. Receive His Holy Spirit. And join me in the love and the peace and the glory of God for an eternity. I see my time is getting away from me again. Seems like I just get started to preach, and my time runs out. But my program's only 30 minutes long, so I have to kind of guard my time write to me. There will be no follow-up. I don't beg for money. I don't ask for money. But I do tell the people, if there's any of you out there that would like to support my program and keep me on the air, the donations are tax-exempt. You'll get a tax receipt. I'm legitimate. I'm honest. And I'm going to stay that way for your sake. And I love you. I'm praying for you. Pray for me. Amen.
0: And that was Brother Bob, the born-again experience. This radio show is called Get Your Love on Radio here on Remnant Radio 100.1 FM. Thanks so much for being here. I love how he said, nothing can come against the truth in the long run. God wins. Every single time. And as he said, if you have any questions, reach out to us at getyourloveon.org. Our entire team is here, eager and waiting to answer those questions with the Word of God, with full Bible studies, and again, just to get you marching forward in that victory that Jesus Christ wrought that is for each one of us individually. So today's show has been really good thus far, and it's about to get really even more exciting as we hear from another true apostle, Brother Bob's wife. Her name's Carol. You've heard her here before, and she references Brother Bob in this next message, but she walks us through. This is a two-part series, so we're going to play part one this week, and then part two will be next week. So be sure to schedule your next Sunday appropriately to not miss part two, Um, but It's so rich in teaching for our lives today, and it's straight from the Word of God. If we want blessing in our lives, if we want authority and overcoming power, we get to learn how the patriarchs of the Bible got it and then simply pattern after them. So this message helps us understand the incredible and the unchangeable power of God's election. Don't you love that? Now, this was recorded um, before there was any natural election going on. This is because God's way ahead of everything. In fact, that message you just heard from Brother Bob was recorded decades ago, and he nailed the situation that we are all living in right now through the Word of God, because the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So again, this message discusses the unchangeable power of God's election. Let's tune in, let's listen well, and let's understand
3: how to get all these promises in our own lives. Well, Welcome, everyone. To me, it's personal because you're about the sweetest people on the face of the earth. See, I have a perspective that goes way back to the early days when the apostle and I traveled the land and sought you out. Uh, It was like when Abraham went out not knowing whether he went. We just got in a car, an old car, with some broken-down seats and some pots and pans in the back, and we just went out looking for you. We just headed up the road, and we knew by faith that God would bring about his very elect. Every day it was a miracle how we went down that road just by faith, waiting and expecting to see you. Years ago, as you, most of you know, by, by the Spirit, he turned off the road, uh, the Linden turnout. And because he did that very quick motion, nothing said, he just made the turn. It was awesome. And I turned and looked at him. No questions asked. But here you all are because of that one act of obedience being so in tune with the Spirit of God. Well, these, we're going to go back and look at the lives of the patriarchs tonight. And that's why we, I wanted to have this picture of the men here, all of you men, all in one building, all in one day, because you're patriarchs, from the smallest to the greatest. You're patriarchs of this new movement of God in the land and wait till you see how stunning your picture looks because i i can't find any group of men anywhere in this land that are in such joy such peace such unity and so full of the spirit as as what you saw and felt today those of you who are watching those pictures being taken it was awesome wasn't it i mean there's to me there's nothing like it on the face of the earth so What I want to do is take you back into these early patriarchs for a moment. Uh, We know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the first ones that were called. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And their walk was nothing short of absolutely fantastic. But there's things out of the life of Jacob that I want to show you in particular tonight. You you can read through the life of Jacob, and if you don't have the, the Lord pinpointed certain things in the Spirit for me to share with you, because they're they're kind of like little nuggets, kind of hidden in the lines. And you can easily miss it. But there's a particular focus tonight, so we'll just forge ahead here. And I'm only, if you have your Bibles, follow me through these chapters. I'm going to start in Genesis 25, and starting in verse 19. So here we go. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. So we know that Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paddan Aram, the sister to Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And here's where it gets interesting. These children that are born here start acting out the very election of God. And this is what I'm touching on tonight, is the unchangeable power of God's election. And you're it. You have definitely been elected by God, or you would not be sitting here tonight. There was such a process in each each of your souls, such a refining fire that has had to go, go through your life. You are indeed, I would say, the very elect. And so you have, you have a commission because of that. But let's follow this. This election of God really starts going here. So in, the, in verse 22, we know she conceived, and here we go, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Remember how you elders have been taught, and you young ones, each individual is a nation. Because why? Because of the power in your spirit and in your voice to create a nation. And I see a nation of spirit-filled people sitting before me tonight. So he she says, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels note the word separated god's doing something very special here and the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger which made about that that brought about a whole change in how things were done because it used to be different the older one always received the the blessing from the father and passed on down here it's being reversed god's up to something And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. Remember he was called Jacob the supplanter? Well, here it starts. From the minute they're being delivered, it starts. And his name was called Jacob. All right, go down with me to verse 29 here, because I just, I can't go through all of these chapters. I have to give you the highlights. But when you're at home, go through these chapters and and glean everything. So the boys are growing, and in verse 29, Jacob sought pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I'm faint. Therefore his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. He's going after it. And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, just lentil soup, kind of a poor, minuscule meal that he sold his birthright for. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way, it says. Thus Esau despised his birthright. At first he had it. He gave it up very easily. And the word despised in the Hebrew means he disdained it. Ah, what good is this birthright to me now? I'm, I'm starving. I could die. I need the food now. Immediate gratification of the flesh. Let's not go there. All right. It also means in the Hebrew, despised means contemptible. Think to scorn. He scorned it and he disesteemed it. All right. Now we'll journey a little further. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. So these guys went through famines, and it was something that they had to adjust and they had to learn to endure through these things and because of the famines, they had to make extensive journeys. And God had to give these patriarchs incredible wisdom just to make the journeys. And we're going to find that out here. So here comes this famine. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar, in Genesis 25, 1, and verse 2, and the Lord appeared unto him, and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. This has is, this is already been made to Abraham, and God keeps repeating himself and keeps solidifying this covenant that he's starting. With these, with the Abraham's seed. And he says, I'll make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I'll give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And that's right up until now. And you're going to hear a testimony of a, from an evangelist who has been converting Jews to Christianity, to Christ. All of this is coming to pass in this present hour. He's going to give you the report. So on we go here. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. He says, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now we'll go down to verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold. Now think about that. All of these blessings stated in here are ours through the multiplication of the patriarchs through Jesus on out into Jesus Christ. And we have a greater than all of these inside of us. So want to be blessed a hundred old? We'll just tell the Lord, yeah, I need that. I need it for your ministry, Lord. And he'll do it. And the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. Well, There's another declaration I'm going to make over all of you. This same thing is happening, starting to happen, and it will continue on and make you all very great as you obey him. So we're going to skip around to Genesis 27 and start in verse 1. And it came to pass when Isaac was old. So time moves on. And you notice as... With age comes, eyes get dim, and they get hard of hearing. There's different things explained in the Bible about aging. It's a natural process. And so his eyes were dim, so he couldn't see, and he called Esau, his eldest son, and he thinks that he's still going to give Esau the birthright. So he says, "'My son,' and he said unto him, "'Behold, here am I,' and he said, "'Behold, now I'm old. I know not the day of my death.' Now, therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out into the field and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Now, who intervenes here? The mother. So are women important in the Bible? Oh, boy, they can steer things in a totally different direction. And this was a good direction. But she gets bold here because God... Is moving on her. So Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, here's what her she pipes up. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father such as he loveth, and thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. Now, not only had Jacob connived to to get Esau to sell the birthright, the mother interestingly enough, I've had the same mind. Who's at work here? It's God. It's God. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, he my brother, is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me and I'll seem to him as a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. Look at her boldness here. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse. O my son, only obey my voice. This is Holy Ghost talking here. Go, and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat, such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread, which she'd prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. hmm Yep. Yeah. Mom had the mind of the Lord here, no doubt about it. And he came to his father and said, My father, here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I me so thy firstborn. I've done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Jacob said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Now he's speaking the truth here, because it all came by the Holy Ghost through the mother's voice. He wasn't, see, he made an honest declaration which was higher than any ordinary declaration. Therefore it stood. Interesting. And Isaac said to Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father and felt him, and he felt him, and he said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. and once those of these patriarchs made that blessing it couldn't be taken back it was a done thing they couldn't reverse it it the that blessing patriarchal blessing was incredibly powerful and so is the blessing that we have on our lives today it's incredible and as we bless others it becomes incredibly powerful to the body of Christ anyone you and I bless they will be blessed and he said, Art thou my very son, Esau? And this is interesting. And he said, I am. Who else in the Bible received that message from God? Well, Moses did, didn't he? Tell him, I am sent you. He's, t- he's speaking here on God's very behalf. This is also the Holy Ghost. And he said, I am am. I'm speaking on behalf of God. God is in my voice. All we have to do, folks, is make sure that God is in our voice, and God will back it up, and we'll get every single blessing out of this life that can be gotten. Yeah, Moses said to the Lord, well, who shall I say sent me to go to back to Pharaoh? He said, tell him, I am sent you. Here's the repeat. I am. Because he, here here was God. And he said, Bring it nearer to me, and I'll eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and brought him wine and he drank. And his father said unto him, Come nearer now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him. And he thought it was He Thought it was Esau. He said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. And here comes the blessing. This is so rich. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Here's the beginning of the Jewish nation. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was scarce, yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. And he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly. He knew what had happened here. And said, who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I've eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. Again, how important is our speech when we bless others? God won't let it be reversed. It comes by the Spirit. Give it. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me, also my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. Of course, Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Yeah, but he forgot that he had sold it. You see, he didn't take it away. Esau sold it. He so relinquished it and behold now he hath taken away my blessing and he said hast thou not received reserved a blessing for me and of course he gives him but his is much much less go to thirty nine verse thirty nine and Isaac his father answered and said unto him behold thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above and by thy sword shalt thou live and serve thy brother. That's going on in the Middle East right now today. Because Esau went off and joined Ishmael. And Ishmael was, here's how God spoke of Ishmael. He said, he will be a wild man. His hand will be, his hand will be against every man's hand, and every man's hand will be against him. And so it is continued to this present day. Tune in on any broadcast at any time, and you'll see a ruckus going on and flags being burned a wild man that's what the, that's what how god has divided the middle east and look at the richness of the state of israel it absolutely overwhelms most of the middle east in in richness and wealth and protection of god and the wonders miracles that are coming out of that land the blessing just incredible god doesn't change it's because of election yeah, so here he just tells him, well, by your sword you're going to live, and you'll serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion. And there were times through history when you know the children of Ishmael did have dominion. He said that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. So how Israel was exalted before God, it just continues on through the ages. So Esau ends up hating Jacob because of the blessing. And he uh, determines to slay Jacob after the days of mourning were accomplished. So in those days, they had days of mourning for a patriarch. It's allowed. We still have days of mourning for those that pass on. And it's allowed of God, and it's, an, it's a good process. Because in that, God takes the soul and does a great work and then transfers your soul from mourning into a new stance, a new day, a new position, which only the Lord can do. You'll see this topic come up as Jacob journeys. Jacob experiences some losses in his life, and these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebecca. So they send Jacob away. Go to Genesis twenty-eight. We'll, we'll review some highlights there. And Isaac called Jacob right away and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, because they were heathens. Go to Padanaram to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee. This blessing just continues. He is still speaking it over Jacob. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee Fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, we are Abraham's seed, Jesus said so in the New Testament, and so did Paul. yet yeah, we're Abraham's seed, so we get all of this blessing. Just have to remind God of it sometimes and tell him, "Look, I'm your seed, Lord, I'm Abraham's seed by faith in Jesus Christ, that's how it comes and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. Even though he was uh, Abraham was a stranger, he was appropriating it by faith for his future posterity. That patriarchal passing on of blessings was just incredible. And Isaac went his way unto Jacob. And as we know, In verse 8, Esau goes a whole different direction here. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac, his father, then Esau went unto Ishmael. There's the beginning of your Muslim nation to this day. Doesn't matter, though. God is uh, rounding up elect from all over the earth. He appears to Muslims and Jews and Christians in visions, and dreams, and revelations, and is bringing them forth. So why? So we'll, we'll all be one body. That's what the Lord intended. But for this time, it meant they were really separated out with a, a vast separation of thinking, of philosophy, of everything. Uh, so so went to Ishmael and took uh, unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of an, So on and so on, to be his wife. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said... I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Now, this didn't happen all at once. This really didn't happen all at once. Because remember, Jacob had to go from here and wait until a son was sold to Ishmaelites and went to Egypt, that being Joseph. He had to wait through all of that, thinking Joseph was dead even. And then, after four Jacob or Joseph um, uh, became governor, you know all of that process, Jacob got to live in the land of Goshen in the land of Egypt for seventeen years, and it came quite a bit later. and then they had to there was four hundred years passed after Jacob's death. Four hundred years went by before this prophecy actually came to pass then those children of Israel that came out of Egypt had to appropriate it. They had to go forth and get it. It wasn't just like dumped on them. They had to go fight battles. They had to take the cities. They had to knock down through faith. They had to, The walls of Jericho had to fall down. I mean, all of this incredible thing. But the prophecy was still given years before. So this, what an incredible perspective we have on this. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and shall spread abroad, and, and so on and so on. He says, I'll keep thee in all places whither you go, and will bring thee again unto this land, for I will not leave thee, he said, until I've done that which I've spoken to thee of. And boy, he didn't either. He kept his promise to Jacob here. This was something, even though it took years of Jacob's life, and then 400 years after that, God kept his promise. So Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, "'Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not.' And he was afraid with a godly fear and said, "'How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven.'" He called the name of the place Bethel. And in verse 20, Jacob vowed a vow, saying, "'If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace,' Then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tithe unto thee. He was a faithful son of Abraham. Abraham tithed, of course, to Melchizedek, who was Christ concealed. But here Jacob repeats, "Said all, I'm going to give. I'm going to pay tithes. Of all you give me, I'll surely give the tithe to you." So we do the same, even in the New Testament time here. So we'll move along here. Genesis 29, verse 1. And Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he goes to work. He meets Laban. You know, they, they set up a, a covenant kind of between them so that Jacob goes to work for Laban, but he gets the daughters. Okay, there's a reward there. In verse 9 of Genesis 29, While he yet spake with him, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept him. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stones from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother, and Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. He just knew this was the leading of God, and he felt at home there right away. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father, of course, he makes his home there for the next 20 years. It starts out just fine because, you know, he gets a couple of wives here. But boy, it, there, there is affliction because Laban changed his wages 10 times. He was a, a changeable person. And it was, it was difficult. He'd have to be out in the cold of the winter and take care of the sheep. He'd have to bear the loss of some of them. It was like 20 years of real affliction. But he served for those two wives. And sons, this is where sons were born unto him. And so it was. Verse 16 of Genesis 29, And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel, your, thy younger daughter. And but said, It's better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Isn't that something? So a true marriage in God is what? Worth waiting for, worth obtaining, worth uh, giving your all to, and so on. He experienced a great romance with his new wife, and it sustained him. It kept him going, because tending a flock for 20 years, flocks of sheep and cattle, that's drudgery. It's very hard work. And Jacob said unto Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled. Well, it didn't quite happen that way. It came to pass when he did give, uh, 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 there was a a gathering and a feast made, and verse 25, and it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, stay with this one a week, and we'll give thee this also. So I'll give you Rachel for the service with which then he ties him in for the service with which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. So here's this Laban. It's always a change with him. You never know what he's going to do next. And so Jacob did so. He was glad to do it for Rachel and fulfilled her week. And he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah, his handmaid, and he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Now this is very interesting. How these tribes, you know, the uh, the uh, the twelve sons of Jacob were born. God had these women in place, and the the divine appointment was that there'd be daughters, or not not daughters, but sons born through these ladies. Leah bore him seven children, six sons and one daughter. And she did a great work before God. Even though she was never given the the position of first wife, it never did say that she was a wife unto him. But it did say that Rachel was the wife of Jacob. That's interesting. But she bore him these six sons. And uh, they became, you know, they were included in the first parts of that that tribe. They'd be literally, these men had sons and daughters, and they became a tribe later on. So Leah continues on. She gets Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and some others. Now Genesis 30, here comes Rachel now behind her. And, and when Rachel saw, this is verse one, when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And so she tried. She sent her, her maid, Bilhah. He said, Go into her, and she'll bear upon my knees. So Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. They called his name Dan. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. His name was Naphtali, or Naphtali. And when Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, to wife. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob, a son, and his name Gad. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob, a second son, his name Asher. So see how this, this is the beginning of the tribes of Israel. God had a purpose in all of uh, this setup. He had to be prolific because this tribe had to be formed. And so on it goes. And even, uh, yeah, Leah was able to bear again down in verse 17. And God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the the fifth son, Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son, Zebulun. Then she bore a daughter named Dinah. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son, this says, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go unto my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served thee, and let me go. For thou knowest my service which I've done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I've found favor in thine eyes, tarry. For I've learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. And he said, Laban says, appoint me thy wages and I'll, I'll give it. And he said unto him, Jacob's getting weary of this here. Now. He said, You know how I have served thee and how thy cattle was with me. For it was little which thou had before I came, and now it's increased unto a multitude, and the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. And now When shall I provide for mine own house also? See, he was totally submitted and subject to another man. And he's. this is getting wearisome. This happened with with, uh, my late husband and I. We'd just go out into the land and serve. We'd just bear, bear forth the gospel to the people. And God would bless it in every place. But we had nowhere to live. And we we had this little trailer and we pulled it around, and you know we'd go to different cities. We'd go to Seattle, and a whole big group was forming, a whole new people, and they were enthusiastic and coming in. We had to go to larger places to accommodate them, and yet there was nothing. We had no place to live. We were wanderers, and we asked the Lord one night. We we used Jacob's prayer. It kind of happened because some of the people who were receiving us. They'd taken more on themselves than they should have, and they they were self-appointed pastors. They'd use Bob's rich blessing of teaching to gather in converts, but they declared that they were the pastors. God hadn't set them up. They set themselves up. And while this was going on, some of their converts just, they were renovating a house there in the Seattle area, and it was being Parts of it were being drywalled, and they said, well, you can stay in the house, that house tonight. And just any old thing, you know, just it wasn't a motel provided. It was just this dry house where a drywall was going on and it was in a shambles. And we just found ourselves in this back room and we were bathing John in the tub that night and he was five and he looked up to us and he said, Dad, where do we live? And Bob's heart, just it just smote him. And he said, son, how would you like to have a farm? And he says, let's pray and God will give us a farm. Well, we did. we agreed that night, but we uh, we went back into the scriptures where you know, we were serving under a number of Labans, taking the low seat, and we just loved to do that. We weren't uh, seeking our own. we were seeking the benefit and the wealth of God's new people, and there were new ones coming in right, left and center, and that's what we all all that we were interested in. But when that little son cried out, we knew it was God's time. And just like Jacob cried out here, and the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. And he says, and now when shall I provide for mine own house also? We said, Lord, Jacob cried this this prayer. We have a right now to provide for this little son that we're raising. We used Jacob's argument, and we got through to God. See, these things, this scripture is alive. You can use these prayers, these cryings out, and you can use it in your prayer life and call out to God and say, I want, because Jacob, he cried out, I want it too. You know, there's a greed you can have. <laughs> like Paul, he says, covet to prophesy. There's a spiritual covetousness that we can be engaged in. So do it <laughs> and increase yourselves. We have the right to increase ourselves before God. So that was very interesting. In a very short time after that, maybe, I don't know, just just mere months, two or three, four months, we had this farm in Canada. And it was totally, people took collections. The new ones just wanted to do something, and people got excited. And that farm in Canada came into effect. And that began the process of Bob televising the gospel around the land. And it went from local stations right up to a, Seattle, a, a satellite. And that, in those days, in the early 80s, that satellite was called SPN. It was, I think, one of the first satellites that went up, if not the first one. And we were on it, and we went all over North America. It was just incredible. From, from being thrown into a, an old building that where they were renovating and having nothing, to being on satellite and being across the nation. Jacob's prayers, Jacob's declarations set us off. That's why I want you to get in here. I can only give you highlights tonight. You go through this Genesis like a, with a fine-tooth comb and make your determinations, and you will be very great. See, Jacob knew when it was time to get off the pot. <laughs> you can. I don't mean the marijuana thing. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't going to settle, in other words. Don't feel settled about anything in your soul. Mm-mm. When you get agitated in a certain way, it's from God. So press into that blessing. So <laughs> Laban says, well, what shall I give thee? And Jacob said, you're not going to give me anything. Here's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to pass through all thy flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle and all the brown cattle among the sheep and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and of such shall be my hire. In other words, God's going to give me cattle and sheep by faith, because here's what he did. He says, so shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come. That's another one we held on to, during those difficult, very difficult days of digging new converts out and seeing God have to separate some from us. That went on for years. It wasn't easy. But we held on. We said social, and we were, uh, you know, poo-pooed and, you know, called a cult and called this and called that. Just, we always took the lowest seat because it's the wisest thing to do. But we, we, we declared social our righteousness answer for us in time to come. And don't you think that I see that happening now amongst you? I do. I kept my righteousness along with Bob, and look what I get. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers among you. My righteousness has answered for me in time to come. This is very personal with me. Yeah you've grown into a multitude before God because you're so powerful. You'll hear more about it. Okay, and he says, So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come for my hire before my face. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep, that shall be counted stolen with me. And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. Well, he just, Jacob just went right over the top in blessing. He really did down to verse forty two, I have to abbreviate here, but when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in. So the feebler were Labans and the stronger Jacob's. So he'd take these rods from poplar trees and pill them, and put these pilled rods in front of the their drinking water, and when the cattle saw it, they'd leap on the rams would leap on the cattle and they'd conceive and bear the colored ones that the spotted and speckled that Jacob wanted. And he just increased. He practically took I think all of almost all of Laban's. Yeah? It was quite a display and Laban had to acknowledge that it was God only God could do this because he did it by faith. He didn't depend on on Laban for wages because those wages changed are not man's ways changeable folks they are. We don't have to depend on that. We depend on our, our faith getting out to God. That's what he'd do. He took those poplar rods and peeled white strakes in them and made the white appear. And he set the rods which he'd peeled before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle, ring strakes, speckled and spotted. And J- Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the ring straked and all the brown in the flock of Laban and he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not unto Laban's cattle well finally this got this grew so much that uh, there was complaint and and in Genesis 31 here's some things that are ha- that happen and he heard the words of Laban's son saying Jacob hath taken away all that was our fathers and of that which was our fathers hath he gotten all this glory and Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. Ever experienced that? We pretty much all have, haven't we? And the Lord said unto Jacob, the Lord intervened here and said, you, you return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I'll be with thee. So he gathers up all of his people. He's He's got some numbers going here. So he calls them all his family together. And, and he uttered it all in front of the two daughters of Laban, and they agreed with him. They said, we don't have any more part with our father's house. He's stolen our inheritance even. So they they were ready to leave with Jacob. So they're getting ready to do that. And in verse 11 of Genesis 31, And the angel of the Lord spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, here am, here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-streaked, speckled, and grizzled, for I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return to the land of thy kindred. Verse 21, So he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river, and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled and took his brethren with him. And they kind of chase after Jacob and try to confront him. It doesn't really work. They end up making a covenant together that one won't pass over the other for harm. Between, there was a covenant between Laban and Jacob. Now, Jacob gets to utter his grievance, um, his affliction before Jacob, you know, sees that he's stolen off. He just flees. And in verse 26 of Genesis 31, Laban said to Jacob, what hast thou done that thou hast stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters as captives? But here's what how Jacob declares to him. Look, he says, these 20 years have I been with thee, thy use." And thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was. In the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. These twenty years have I been in thy house. I've served thee fourteen years, for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and has rebuked thee yesternight. So they end up parting. So they end up in verse 44, and Now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. So they do it. So Jacob or Laban departs. They, they uh, stay overnight, I believe, and, they, and the Laban departs. He kisses his sons and daughters and blesses them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. Now, this gets interesting. Genesis 32. Here, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Edom. Because Esau's on his way to meet him with 400 men. And Jacob, Jacob is very, very tremulous over this. This is a test of his faith. See, he thinks, you know, it would be obvious that Esau would still be wanting to kill him. That was the first vow he made, was, I'm going to kill kill you as soon as the days of mourning of my father are ended. I'm, I'm going to kill you. So here we are. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So those messengers go, and he he has to entreat the Lord. He has to really get in here and entreat the Lord. So what he does... He has quite a family now, and he puts space, He puts a drove of people and cattle out in, in front. Then he puts a space between, and then another drove, and a space, and another drove. So that if Esau were to raise a sword against him, there's a chance that some of his tribe could escape. That's literally how he was planning it. So he tells his servants in um, Genesis 32, uh, he discusses it in verse 16, and he delivered them into the hands of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth me, and asketh me, saying, Who art thou? And whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, These be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. So he commanded the second and the third and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak to Esau. And say, Moreover, that, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterwards I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. He wasn't sure at this point. So went the present over before him. And himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that same night and took his two wives and his two women servants and eleven sons and passed over the Ford Jabuk. See, he split, he split the people up. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. Now, everything changes from here. First thing we find in the next verse was, and Jacob was left alone. Very important for us to be alone with the Lord, isn't it? Any, everything can happen. Anything can happen. And every change that we desire can be had when we just give ourselves that time to be alone, like Jacob was left alone. Is what happens. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. This is Genesis 32, verse 24. Now that man, as we know, it actually says a man, didn't say an angel, because before it said in the angels of God met him. No, here it was a man. He was he came in human form, but who was he? Okay, let's read. And when he saw, this man saw, that he prevailed not against him, he prevailed not against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh and... The hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Can you imagine the tenacity there? And the Lord is more powerful than anything on this earth or anywhere else. And he said, the Lord is talking to him, it was Jesus Christ, concealed. Jesus Christ in concealed form could appear as a man. He did all kinds of things like this in the Old Testament. And he said, the Lord said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said this, here's tenacity, I will not let thee go. And you've got to realize his his hips were out of joint, his thigh was out of joint. That was so painful. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Bob and I had to use this many days in our journeys and for victories that we needed to achieve. Many days we'd lay hold And repeat this verse before God. I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. So do we have to be tenacious in our demands? Oh, yes. And he said unto him, What is thy name? So the Lord says, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the Lord said, Thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. And here's what Israel means. For as a prince... "'Hast thou power with God and with men, "'and hast prevailed.'" He won the wrestling match. Isn't that incredible? And Jacob asked him, the Lord, and said, "'Tell me, I pray thee, thy name.'" And he said, the Lord said, "'Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name?' The reason for that is, as we must remember, is that he was Christ-concealed. It wasn't time for his name to be revealed. He couldn't give it. The question, there was nothing wrong with Jacob's question. He just couldn't reveal it. It wasn't time. All the ones in the Old Testament were shut up to the faith that would afterward be revealed to all of you. Yeah, We're no more under tutors or governors, which was the Old Testament. But we're now lawful friends in Christ. High privilege. High, high privilege. Use it more and more, more and more. So what does the Lord do? And it says, and he blessed him there. What else could he do? It was wonderful. And Jacob called the, the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face. Now see, he appeared as a man, but Jacob knew he was God. That had to be revealed to him during this encounter. Jacob said, I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day. Because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. So when you're taking a shower, you young ones, look at the side of your hip. You'll see that little dent in there. We all got it because that happened to Jacob. We are Jacob's offspring, are we not? We have that same hollow in our thigh that was handed on down to us from God himself. Every every man's physicality and every woman's physicality was changed from that moment. Mm -hmm. Because Jacob won it. He won that wrestling match for us. He's one of our predecessors. He went before us to help us to establish our faith. So go to Genesis 33, and here's how he meets Esau. It's, It's very significant. I'll read through a little bit of it because there's some significant things here. Verse 1, 33, verse 1, And Jacob lifted up his eyes, and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And they could have just torn that little tribe apart. But, And so he, he divides the children unto Leah and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. He puts the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them, and bowed himself to the ground seven times, until he came nearer to his brother. And what does God do? God changes the, whole, the brother's whole thought process, his whole demeanor, everything. Why? Because Jacob run, won the wrestling match the night before, and God had to bless him. Everything changes. Well, he can he, Again, Israel means, as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. He prevailed over Esau here. So he, he humbles himself, he, he behaves himself very wisely and takes the lower seat, as it were. He, oh, and it was so impressive. When he bowed himself to the ground those seven times, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Isn't that something that only God could do through blessing Jacob here? And he lifted up his eyes. Esau looks and he sees the women and the children and said, Who are these? And he said, The children, which God hath graciously given thy servants. Then the handmaidens, what a beautiful orchestration. He taught them all how to behave themselves as they were being presented to Esau. And it worked. It worked on Esau's heart and mind. Then the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph Joseph near and Rachel and they bowed themselves and he said what meanest thou by all this drove which i met which i met and and Jacob says these are to find grace in the sight of my lord and Esau said notice how he honored Esau by calling him lord the older brother he gave him that respect and it was very wise that he did and Esau said i have enough my brother Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, No, I pray thee, if I have now found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at thy hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Very well, wise, chosen words here. Take, he says, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. And then so, so Esau wants to go along here and journey with him. But here's another idea. And he said Esau said, let's take our journey, and let's go, and I'll go before you. Now, Jacob answers in a very specific way. And this is very significant for all of us. And he, meaning Jacob, this is Genesis 33, verse 13. And he, Jacob, said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. And he meant the humans as well as the cattle. In other words, everybody. He said, Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, And I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord, unto Mount Seir. God gave Jacob the wisdom as to how to entreat his company, his family. He didn't overdrive them. And I have, you know, there's a modern word. There's a modern word of wisdom, for we are often in charge of our elders. Those who are younger, you're in charge of your elders. Why would you overdrive them? There's a bit of wisdom here from God. For you, the flock of God in this present day, be careful of this. Jacob knew how to lead on softly so that the cattle and the children would be able to endure. And this goes for our elders. Don't overdrive them, people. They don't overdrive them. As you age and get older, you have a need to be in one place most of the time. That's going to happen. I saw our dear Muriel years ago go through difficulty because of her own zeal, and yet the wisdom of God for her would have been to hang back a little. She suffered in the flesh greatly because she overdrove. And, you know, it was the zeal is zeal. But when you have an elder like Jacob here who knew how to take care of his flock, you have to sometimes say, wait, no, the wisdom of God says this. This is what we're going to do from now on. So take Jacob's advice here. Let's not overdrive anybody from now on. It, It may just end up prolonging their lives. I'm talking about our elders now. Mm-hmm. They may have the zeal, but the physicality you have to understand. We have doctors in our midst. Counsel them. they'll tell you. am I right, doc?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: absolutely. so there's a lot of wisdom and and Jacob had it nobody nobody died through um havoc here or for being from being overdriven. What a significant thing here and Esau he so said, well. Let me leave with the, some of the folk that are with me. And he said, I don't need it. Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So es- Esau went his way, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth. They just they separated out again, and there was peace. So Jacob, in verse 18, came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, in the land of Canaan, bought a parcel of field, where he spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father. And he bought it for money and erected there an altar, and called it elohai Israel. Then there's a lot of adventures here. Uh, Dinah, the son of Hamor, Shechem, the son of Hamor, falls in love with Dinah and wants to take her to wife, but it turns out that the oldest sons, Reuben and Simeon, had other ideas. And they, in their self-will, you know, the men of Shechem were ready to make peace with Jacob and his family. They were willing to be circumcised in order to have D- uh, Dinah be a part of their company. And they were willing to make peace with Jacob and his company. But uh, those sons of, uh, of Jacob, Simeon and, and Levi, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males after, right after they were circumcised the third day while they were sore, while their bodies were sore. They came and slew them all. And they slew Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. And boy, was Jacob, this was a terrible trial for Jacob. Jacob, in verse 30 of Genesis 34, says to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? But they slew people in self-will. It was not the will of God. And later, when Jacob blesses all of those lads, those men, they didn't do very well in their blessing. Jacob flatly said, they slew a man in their self-will. My honor be not united with them. They didn't get diddly-squat from God. It was it was quite something. So let's go to Genesis 35. And God appeared unto Jacob and said, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother.
0: This is Get Your Love on Radio here on Remnant Radio, and that was part one. We pick up with Jacob right where we leave off next week in part two, and we will dive further into the patriarchs and the great miracles that God wrought and how God's election is so powerful. And most importantly, it's unchangeable, my friends. I hope you enjoyed learning how easy it is to glean that great wisdom and know how, for real life. In today's show alone, we learned how to be at peace in the face of enemies. We learned how to talk directly to God Almighty. We learned real-life examples of how the prayer of Jacob launched an honest ministry onto international television. And we learned how we can access all of that through the Word of God. And there is so much more. And I'll leave you with this. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God is listening. He's here for each one of us. And as you heard, great and mighty deliverances are available to each one of us as we proclaim them for ourselves, for our communities, and of course, for this great nation. It says in verse 7, "And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus." There's one way my my beloved friends, it's through Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, "Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things and those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. Isn't that a wonderful promise that as we do the things that are in the word, we know that not only can we be at peace with enemies, but we can be at peace And have God Almighty with us in all ways, through all things. Sure love you so much. Of course, more resources are available at getyourloveon.org. If you need a Bible in your hands, please reach out to us. We will send it to you. If you'd like to get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, again, reach out. We will connect you to the right people. And since we've spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's make sure we keep our love on. We'll be back next week again with part two of what you heard today and much, much more. Sure love you. Lord bless your week. Man or woman, man or woman who is so down, try keep your love on, on.
3: Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God, keep your love on. Your love on, child.
0: Let it shine bright, bright, bright. Keep your love on, 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 on. Don't let it die, don't let it die, don't let it die.